Welcome to the Caroline Gleick Show, where we talk about adventure and activism and how sports can change the world. I am super excited to talk to Vanessa Shavariaga. Is that how I say your last name? You nailed it. Okay. <laughs> I also have a difficult last name, Gleick. It does not look how it sounds at all. So, I mean, I don't think Shavariaga is actually difficult at all. It's very phonetic. <laughs> it's a beautiful It's got last 11 name. letters, so people get intimidated. <laughs> it's one V and two R's, correct? Yep. Yeah, see? You got it. <laughs> so, do we have to... Do you roll... Like, how, I would love, love to hear you say it. <laughs> yeah, so, depends on who I'm talking to. If I introduce myself kind of in Spanish, it's Vanessa Chavarriaga. Definitely rolling the R's. But then if I'm, like, talking not Spanish, I just say Chavarriaga, which... The Spanish version sounds better. It sounds so beautiful. I love how you said that. Thank you. So I got to know you, Vanessa, last winter through, um, you reached out on Instagram, I think. I find a lot of my best people on Instagram. There's yeah, still a, a, a silver tool. lining. It is. Um, so I think we first connected there and then you came out and we skied together as this sort of like informal mentorship program that I was doing with a few women of color in snow sports. And since that first ski day, we've had a few others and some fun days on the trail. And we've, um, you've really become a great friend. Yay. Yes. And so um, I thought I'll turn it over to you. Tell me about yourself. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Um, So I am a Colombian immigrant. I was born in Colombia in Medellin, and I moved to the U.S. when I was about eight years old and sort of bounced around to different places, um, Florida, Michigan, and then ended up, yeah, finding my love for the outdoors through a high school summer camp that I did um, just because my family, you know, hardworking immigrant parents, like, never went camping, never went skiing, anything like that. And it just kind of blew my mind that this world was now available to me through, you know, this proximity to whiteness that I was existing in. Um, And so I've sort of been chasing that ever since. And that um, I did a few, you know, experiences with like experiential education. I did a few Knowles courses, um, ended up going to school in Mexico where I studied sociology, which really helped me, you know, just the way that I think I use my degree like every single day just because it really enabled me to understand sort of the systems at play um, that create, you know, oppression and privilege and everything that how we interact with one another. Um, and then I moved to Wyoming and um, sort of merged that degree with an environmental ed degree and became an environmental sociologist. And so I really focus on sort of that um intersect of people in nature and just how those relationships exist and how we can do better um, on our part. And I also became an avid skier. Um, Just a few years ago, I am a skier, a trail runner, uh, a forager, a mountaineer, uh, an ice skater, (laughs) you know, all all different things, but really just coming back to experiencing that joy in the outdoors that I feel like I didn't really get a chance to do when I was a child. And so it's all about finding that inner child, right? And sharing it with wonderful people like yourself. I I think that is like our connection for sure because I am also like the oldest teenager ever. I love <laughs> <And> I, it. <laughs> I love being outside because it is it's like that that deep part of ourselves that I feel like 
so often too, we have to kind of abandon to be successful in like modern society. And I love just being outside and being wild and kind of feral, feral line. (laughs) (laughs) And I love sharing that with you. Yes. I had so much fun on our days. And so I was really impressed. Like you're pretty young too. You're 20, 24, 24. Yeah. 24. Yes. So I feel like your peer, even though I guess, are, how long is a generation? It's like 10 years? 10 years, yeah. Ten, so I'm actually like a generation older than you, which yeah. is really interesting <laughs> because I definitely relate to you as a peer because you're very wise and mature. I was just so impressed by your progression with backcountry skiing and also ultra running because mm-hmm. Going from, I think our first day of skiing, we went to the resort and then we went to the backcountry. And then by the spring, you skied Buck Mountain in the Tetons. Do you want to tell me about that quickly? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was actually running in the park today and I just keep looking at it and I'm like, I can't believe I did that. You know, I look at it and it's just, it still feels like a dream. I think that a lot of things aligned. Um, Skiing with you was a huge game changer for me because it made me actually start to see myself as an athlete, which is, again, all of it is really new to me. So I think being able to believe in myself and also have mentors that believe in me really empowered me to ski this huge line. Um, So it's, you know, one of the higher peaks in the Tetons. And it was my first sort of ski mountaineer experience where I reached a summit. Um, I got to use ski crampons and regular crampons and, you know, just went through all of it. It was it was quite the experience. I think it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but also I was not expecting to succeed. You know, I was like, we're not going to reach a summit and that's fine. Um, but we did. And yeah, I think it was a combination of just having like really good mentors and team members on that day and also just being able to really set our goals intentionally. Um, it was amazing. I think I, you know, was kind of scared at the summit. I was like, I didn't even know what was going on because I was so emotionally and physically exhausted. Um, so I did some side slipping off the summit, just, you know, which is I'm also learning is a huge part of ski mountaineering. And then we had powder, you know, on the summit block and corn the rest of the way down. It was kind of the perfect day. Yeah, I still can't believe it happened. I had never so many firsts, right? Like I had never walked in shoes with my ski boots and my skis on my back, but it was, it was a super positive experience that just left me wanting to have more experiences like that and believe in myself because I think that's, that's the biggest part, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then I was also just blown away by how you approached and succeeded on your first ultra marathon this summer, also in the Tetons. Yeah. Do you want to tell me about that? (laughs) It was super fun. Um, I think so. Yeah, just a little bit of background. I became an athlete two years ago. You know, before two years ago, I was not a runner. I was not a climber. I was not any of these things. I think I was placed into this box of being like a woman of color who doesn't have access and women of color don't run. They don't ski, you know, all these, all these different narratives that I kept receiving all of my life. I was actually like bullied in school for being so slow whenever I attempted to run, which was not very often people were like, you're not a runner. And so I just, I think I internalized that and told myself that over and over, like, you're not a runner. You're not a runner. I also like didn't really have access to safe running, um, which I think is something that we don't talk about enough. But like I didn't have trails, you know, where I grew up. And then when I was in school in Mexico, it wasn't safe for me as a woman to go running alone. 
you know? And so I think that those are some things that are actually like infrastructure and systemic racism in place that, you know, don't allow people of color to experience outdoor sports. So all of that being said, um, once I moved to Wyoming, I actually had the privilege of having trails and I was at the university. So I had a gym and I sort of was like, you know, I'm just going to try it. Um, and I ran a half marathon in Moab. And ever since then, I'm I'm a runner, you know, um, and I think, yeah, I had never run more than that half marathon. That was my longest run ever before this summer. And I think I like pitched it to you, Caroline. I was like, what if what if I run 40 miles? And you were like, you should totally go for it. Um, and I really appreciated you like checking in with me, you know, every few weeks, like, how's your training going? Um, I was also fortunate enough to, yeah, have people who believe in me and like recognize, um, you know, the generational gaps of knowledge that I have. So Scratch Labs was able to hook me up with both nutrition and a nutritionist, which was sort of life changing for me because I think, again, like, Running has been an incredibly empowering act and getting to know more about my body, getting to know about how it works, using food as fuel. All of it is super new to me. I think that women of color specifically are like placed again into these boxes where like our bodies are meant to look a certain way and not to serve us. And so it's been really empowering to sort of flip that narrative and say like, no, like my body takes me places. It takes me up mountains. I run 40 miles. Um, So the run, the actual run ended up looking a lot different than I thought it would. You know, there was a while where I thought I wasn't going to do it at all, which was a little disappointing because again, like I had never run 40 miles and I didn't think I could do it. That's a similar thing with Buck, right? I didn't, I didn't think I was capable, but luckily things fell into place like super last minute and I had an amazing time. You know, it was like a full 12 hours and 45 minutes and the cloud cover was perfect, so it wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. I was pretty miserable at the end. I think I, I sent you a text message, just like very upset. But um, you know the yeah the ebbs and flows, like the emotional roller coaster of just running for forty miles. Yeah, but I think what was what was so surprising to me is that my body was capable and I was ready, and the work I did this summer of training actually did pay off. And so I think a common theme in my life is like, I'm always stronger than I think I am. Right. And so I think both with Buck and the Teton Crest Trail, it's all about just channeling that strength and like really grounding in myself um, and finding that inner strength that I can then take, you know, into my daily relationships and interactions and stuff like that, because I definitely need a lot of strength in this world. Yes. Well, it's so cool to hear about both of those accomplishments. Huge congratulations. I'm doing your first ultra marathon, like self-supported. Like I, I feel like as I've gotten into my 30s that it's like unlocked more of my capacity for endurance. And so the fact that like, like I don't think I could have done it when I was 24. I just, I didn't have that like... I was starting to come into it, but I do think like that endurance has gotten easier as I've gotten older. Yeah. Yeah. I was also... Um, in I really always wanted to be a runner. I was a runner in junior high and then I got shin splints and I quit and oh. <laughs> I didn't know you could like recover awesome. and go back. Yeah. You know? Like no, no one told like, this me is that. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was I really um appreciated also bringing up the fact that not everybody has access to like safe running conditions. And I was curious kind of about the timeline of your childhood and how you came to the US and Like, um, I'd love to hear more about your family, too. Yeah, totally. So I, 
Yeah, was born in Colombia, only child. My parents kind of decided to move to the States just because of safety. So we actually came here seeking asylum, which then just kept getting rejected. Our immigration systems don't work. Um, I don't know if I can say that on this podcast. But you can say whatever you want, please. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, I think that it's it's unique for me because I was so young when I moved here that the U.S. feels like home in a lot of ways, and so does Colombia. And, like, in a lot of ways, neither of them feel like home. You know, I'm kind of, like, in this weird in-between. And what was particularly hard is that I grew up undocumented, and so I couldn't leave the U.S., um, which meant I could never go visit my family in Colombia. So for 12 years, I lived here, also kind of living in that secret just because being undocumented is something that's really scary and you know, is not really socially acceptable, um, especially like in the white suburb that I was living in. And so I found it, yeah, really healing to sort of, you know, tell tell my stories just because there are a lot of people in that situation. But I think for that reason, like that really shaped my childhood because little things like I didn't have health insurance, right? And my parents were afraid of going to, let's say a hospital where they ask you for your ID and your information, you know, like little things like that that you don't really think about. We didn't have a car for a lot of years, so that also, you know, I didn't really have access to many things. Like, after-school activities were, you know, like, I tried to join the tennis team, and I needed a physical. And that's a very basic thing that people get all the time, and I couldn't get one. And so, you know, I had a lot of hard realizations like that, you know, sort of trying to exist in a privilege that I didn't actually hold. Um, but it was really, I got really good at pretending. And so I think that that has been, yeah, definitely a pattern in my life where I did not have access to a lot of things. I luckily now have permanent residency in the U.S. Yay. You know, it took it took a full like 21 years, but now I have it. And um, I think that the safety I now hold just makes me want to advocate for those communities even more. Um, my parents are living in Mexico and the rest of my family is in Colombia. And so I am also like totally alone in this country, um, which is really difficult and isolating sometimes, but also makes me really appreciate chosen family. And just, you know, like those those friendships and those relationships that like really do hold you and everything you need. So yeah, just kind of grew up. Like I read a lot of books. Um, that's why I'm a writer, I think. You know, I spent a lot of time alone and then yeah, my first time coming to a mountainous region was actually the Tetons. And so I think that's why this place has shaped my life so much. I just felt so empowered and also like afraid in like the the best ways. And, you know, just so like I had something to live for now. Right. And so I think that um, knowing that that's the case and also knowing, like we were saying, that being outdoors enables us to experience our childhoods. It makes me want that for everybody especially kids who grew up like me, you know? And so I think that that's, at the end of the day, like, that's what I'm fighting for. I think that, you know, we we talk a lot about public lands and access, and we have these ideas that it's for everyone. Um, and in a lot of ways, like, the U.S. does hold a lot more freedoms than, say, like, Mexico or Colombia. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that are sort of invisible boundaries and barriers that are keeping people of color from nature. And so I think that being able to shed light on these boundaries and barriers um, is really helpful because we can't know what we're fighting against if we don't know what's going on. So um, 
I just, yeah, I just, I want to empower people with knowledge. I want to empower people with their own agency. I want to remind people of their own power. And, you know, that's where things come into like voting. Like I can't vote because I'm not a U.S. citizen. And I think that makes it even more important for me to advocate for other people to vote, you know? And like, we all have power. We all have voices. Our power can't be taken away from us. And so that's like my mission in life is just to remind other people of their power and get people outdoors. I love that. I mean, I also just love what you said about how the mountains, like it gave you dreams and hope. And I mean, I find that so true for me in my life. Like it gives me a purpose and and holding fast to those dreams really gets me out of bed in the morning. So you kind of spoke to like your overarching goal with your work in the outdoor space. And I mean, not even just in the out in the world. (laughs) And so what are some of your athletic dreams? Yeah, I've got big dreams, Caroline. (laughs) I have always been a big dreamer. And I love that about myself. Um, I would love to be a professional sponsored athlete undocumented immigrant women of color taking up all the space, right? I think that being that representation that I never had, I know it sounds corny, but it's still so incredibly important because we're still not there yet, you know? And so I, yeah, like I want to ski the Grand Teton with a group of all women of color, you know? I want I want to do that. I, I want to ski Buck with you this spring. We should talk about it. We should. Um, <laughs> I want to, yeah, I want to keep running. I just want to, I think keep keep channeling my own strength Um, because I think that, like I said before, I think I'm capable of so much more than I even know at this point. And I think I really want to also build community. I think being a professional athlete for me is all about like who I bring with me and the spaces we create together. Right. And how we change that narrative and that space in a collaborative way. Um, Some of my favorite days in the mountains are always with people. You know, it's not about the the achievement. It's not about the summit as much as it is about like, you know, we're like sliding down the snow together and it's really fun and, you know, doing stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's another really cool thing about backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering is that you can do it alone. I don't recommend it, but it's best done when shared with people. I think, yeah, like I would definitely recommend for people to get out there with other people. There are very few days that I go ski mountaineering Mm -hmm. alone or even backcountry skiing. Yeah. What, what, what advice would you have? Like, this is a question I get all the time and I'm really bad at answering it because it's really hard to get into backcountry skiing. People always yeah. ask me, like, how do we recommend I get into backcountry skiing? And I, I often struggle to come up with a good answer for folks because there's a lot of different ways to get into it. And what works for one person doesn't work for everybody. And I also want people to kind of choose their own adventure. But yeah. I'm curious if you can give us some advice about how to get into backcountry skiing or not just that, but like broader mountaineering and yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, the biggest thing has been mentorship, right? Finding finding mentors who believe in you, believe in, in your power and your capacity. I think also knowing the why, like, why do you want to get into backcountry skiing and how does that meet your goals? And, you know, they could be very simple goals. Like, I just want to have fun in the snow. For me, um, being comfortable during winter is really empowering and important to me because I'm scared of winter, right? Like, it's scary. There's a lot of risks. There's a lot of exposure. Um, there's a lot of things going on. And so I think for me, backcountry skiing was just a way for me to experience the mountains more and get outside more just for my own mental health and happiness. 
I think that oftentimes we get so sucked into an activity or a goal that it serves we serve it instead of it serving us, you know, and we get sucked into this mentality of like, well, we just have to do it because it's what everybody does. And so I would really challenge folks to ask themselves why and do some like thoughtful reflecting because it will make all of your interactions with that sport so much more intentional and so much more profound. I also think that a really important mentality when getting into backcountry skiing is that you also hold within yourself a lot of knowledge that is really valuable I think that a lot of people who see themselves as beginners just feel really stupid because it's hard, it's vulnerable, it sucks to be like new and bad at something. And I think it's important to remember that you're also bringing something unique to this sport and this place and the sport will be better with you in it, right? Because that's all about like diversity is beautiful and we appreciate it, you know, in like the mountains and in our food and in our cultures. So why not bring that into our sports as well? And so I really, I really like the idea, especially again, like I learned how to ski two years ago. I am an adult learner and it's scary, especially as a woman of color who doesn't fit into this space. It's important to remind myself like, no, I belong here and I'm, I'm bringing something with me and I'm bringing it into the sport and I'm making it more beautiful and more fun and just better for everyone. Like I have, I don't know if I did this when I was with you, but I often, when we transition, you know, from like going uphill to going downhill, I play this Colombian music that is just so loud and joyful and everyone's dancing and, you know, it takes away like the little like scary feelings of, you know, about to drop something. And so um, even things like that, like bring your own culture, bring your own joy um, into the space because it's welcome and it's going to make it better. 100%. So many good tidbits in there. It seems like you do a really good job because I, I think mentorship can be tricky sometimes too. Like you have to pick the right person and totally. like you have to be careful about what voices you let into your head because if you ask the wrong person for advice and they tell you like, oh, you're going to die doing that. It's really hard to get that out of your head. Like I had that happen to me a lot. What I really love about you is like you're so proactive about chasing your dreams and asking people for mentorship. So how do you decide like who to approach and what advice would you have for others that are looking for mentors? Because I think a lot of people expect someone to come to them and be like, hey, I'm going to mentor you. But mm -hmm. you were really proactive about coming to other people. And so like, how did you decide to do that? And what advice do you have for people in deciding what other people to approach? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I tell people our story all the time because I think it's such a good example of it. I think what it comes down to is kind of what I was saying earlier knowing that like while I am searching for mentorship, I also hold value. It's kind of like a job interview, right? Like you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you. It's There's always a give and take. There's always reciprocal relationships and you always have something to bring to the table. I think knowing that I have value before stepping into any interaction makes me feel really strong in that and makes me, you know, respect my own boundaries and my own space. And it makes me, yeah, I, I think it makes me more selective because it's like, well, I wouldn't just hang out with just anyone, you know, like I, I have my own values and I'm going to look for people that those values align with. I think that a lot of people often feel like they don't have a choice and they're desperate because they want to learn something. Right. And it's like, no, like you, you are an active player in this relationship as well. Like you're teaching this person something too. And so I think what I search for generally um, is just people who are trying 
and people who are showing up in ways that matter to me. So I know I recognize, like, I was following you for a while and I was like, oh, she's dope. Like, she skis a bunch. She's a professional skier. She does all these things. She's badass. Um, but she also advocates for things that matter to me. And you started talking about Black Lives Matter. You're one of the few athletes that were was doing that, first of all. And I think I was just kind of sitting there and I was like, you know, if she if she really cares about the stuff that she's saying that she cares about, we should go skiing together, you know? I was just like, and so I messaged you. I was like, hey, like, you don't know me. I have a thousand followers on Instagram, like, whatever. But, you know, I see you advocating for black lives and I am a woman of color trying to enter the space. And so I think like giving people that option, the option to truly show up. And the worst thing that's going to happen is that someone's going to tell you no. Right. And I think it's, it's hard to hear that. And it's scary because we all have egos and that's a very valid thing. But it's also like you got to shoot your shot, you know, like what's going to happen? Like you could have just not responded to me and I would have been like, OK, whatever, you know, but you did. And so I think I always encourage people to just put themselves out there, shoot their shot. And like the worst thing that could happen is someone's going to say no. And I think you also like have taught me a lot of this. Right. I think that working in a space where I kind of have to have my own like personal brand and I sort of have to sell myself and be consumed because that's really what we're doing on Instagram. I have to know that I can't take things personally. And at the end of the day, like my value and my power will always be there and they will always be mine no matter what kinds of rejection I get. And so I was really impressed by you because I know that a lot of people use Instagram sort of as a virtue signaling space. They're trying to sell something in particular. Um, and I was really, really pleasantly surprised to know that you um, were not just talking the talk. You were also walking the walk and you matched your intent with your actions. And that's huge. Right. And so that's where I'm like, it never you don't need to be perfect. You're never going to be the perfect advocate. Like all that matters is that you're trying and you're showing up and you're willing to do the work. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about you, this is just a big love fest, <laughs> is like we were talking about this mentorship. Like I think we were writing a brief or something like pitching a story idea. And I said something about like the mentorship thing, about how it's like I wanted to be this person to you that I always wish that I would have had. And mm -hmm. I love that you corrected me and you're like, no, we want to be that person for each other. And I was like, yeah. gosh, that's so true. Cause it's not, yeah. you're like, it's not hierarchical, it's reciprocal. And I just really appreciate that because a hundred percent it is. And I'm super excited about this upcoming winter. Um, we got to pin down some dates because I also would love to make like a dance video for like reels and TikTok. Together. Let's please do that. I'm so down. <laughs> yes, just so much of what you said, I still feel like is very relevant uh, to me. Like I've been a backcountry skier for a decade and a half, you know, but I still sometimes see other groups of people and I'm like, oh, I'd like to go ski with them, but I don't like put myself out there as much as I used yeah. to. And I'm like, I should, you know, I should hit up more people to make more uh, like, you know, people that I want to get out with because yeah. it's always fun to have new partners and new goals and, and to keep dreaming. Totally. Yeah. And I think a big part that, you know, I, I have a lot of strength, I think, just from being a woman of color in this world, like I was really raised and I think like all women are raised to serve other people. Right. And be apologetic and be really soft and be really quiet and like not take up space. 
and I can't afford to do that anymore. You know, like in my in my 24 years of life, I'm sick of it. Like I'm like I'm not doing that anymore. Like we we have to do something else. Also knowing that what I'm doing, I'm not just doing for myself. Um really channels that strength back to me, right? Like I'm doing this for my past ancestors and my future ancestors. I'm doing this for people that look like me. I'm doing this for an entire community. And then all of a sudden like it's not about me and it's so much bigger than me. And that like shortens my ego quite a bit where to this to the place where I can be vulnerable because I know that what I'm doing is so much more important than just my feelings, you know? And so I think that's where a lot of my power comes from. It's a beautiful intention and vision and I love that value set. And another thing is I really think part of the reason I get along with you so well is because we're both, wait, how tall? I think you're just about my height, like five, yeah, one, five, five, two. Five, two, yeah. Because like there is this other weird layer that I felt like I acknowledge that I have white privilege. And so I don't have the same, all the same experiences as you. And I just want to acknowledge that. But I do think that there is an added layer. So it's like racism, systemic racism, sexism. And then I do think there is a thing with height too, where like we Absolutely. see the world in a super yeah. different way, like being yeah. our five foot something selves, <laughs> being our petite selves. It's yeah. like so often people think I'm like a child and I'm like, no, I have a ton of experience. And it's, yeah, it's it's tough when you have to like also overcome that initial bias that people have. Yeah, because again, like you just, you don't look like a mountaineer. You yeah. know, when people think about a mountaineer, unfortunately, we're still in this place where we think about like very tall, strong, white men. Beard, and it's usually. just Yeah, like, like, yeah. And I just, I think that we just have so many more options. Like, there's so many more options in the outdoors. There's so many more options as to how we experience things, as to who is an athlete. And like, I love disrupting that, you know? Like, I posted a video on my Instagram yesterday, like, Who's ever seen a brown Colombian woman ice skating on wild ice? I haven't, you know? And it's just like, again, like, that makes me an athlete. Why not? Like, who says that it doesn't, you know? And so I think that we we have to disrupt that space more just because we don't inherently fit into it. And so just our existence in that space, and this is something that I remind myself of all the time because sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough, but just existing in this space is already an act of resistance, Right because it wasn't made for us and we're not supposed to be there and we're constantly reminded of that. And so I think the fact that we're like persisting, we're showing up every day, we're getting on that skin track, no matter like the comments and the looks and the feeling small, we're saying no to those people and like taking up space. And I think that's incredibly powerful. 100%. Okay, so my final question is about kind of like making the jump from being passionate about the outdoors to being an advocate to protect those places. And so like, how is the work that you're doing to kind of disrupt the status quo and people's expectations about who should be outside? Like, how does that translate into activism and to protecting these places and the climate crisis? Mm hmm. I know that's okay, a big that's question. It's a, a big one to end on. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of layers there. So um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe I that's think that, an unfair question. No, no, it's, it's good. I, I think that generally where I start with that is I think that and what I you know have been saying this whole time is like we all hold so much power and beauty and value as human beings and our ability to share our stories with one another is one of the most powerful tools that we have, right? It it changes lives. It like moves mountains. It's just this wonderful thing. And so I think being able to 
remind every individual of their unique power that they hold through their stories, through their lives, um, is incredibly powerful. And it also changes, once we begin to tell these stories about ourselves, it moves from personal to political, right? Because that's when we start getting into, okay, here's how these systems have shaped my life. Here's how my love for these places has shaped my life and I want to protect it, right? And so I think that finding that common ground first, like through our stories that are just so human at the end of the day and being able to transfer that into collective action is an incredibly powerful thing that we are all capable of doing. And so I think that I would encourage people to just start telling their stories, start writing their stories, just write about your favorite place or one of your favorite memories and something will come from it, you know, whether it's your love of like fly fishing with your dad and now what's happening with the fisheries, you know, like things like that. Everything is really tied together. And I think that we often don't don't see how we're playing a role in creating that change every single day. And so I think, yeah, just really reminding people to tell their stories. I think for me, um, being an immigrant, I sort of feel like I'm carrying my culture with me into this new place um, and knowing that like my communities are on the front lines of climate change um, is a really big thing. So like while I'm out here like enjoying these mountains, my family is like suffering from air quality, right? And so I think none of it can be separated from the other. And we, we have to begin thinking like in that collaborative way because our actions today are gonna impact lives tomorrow, you know? And so I think just reminding people that we have value, we have strength and we have power in everything that we do and being able to channel, like once we know that that power is there, we can channel it into action to advocate for what we love. Beautifully said. You said that so eloquently and I really appreciate the way that you kind of broke it down because when we like think about our personal stories, it's really easy to connect them to policy and to like think about the way that the systems like governmental systems and other systems kind of shape our experiences in society, in the outdoors. And yeah, so when you can start from that place of love and joy and and by sharing those stories, you can really have a big impact on policy. And so um, I agree. That, that was perfect. And this is this is something that they don't teach us. You know, this is something like we are taught like actively in schools to be extremely, incredibly passive about our role in creating social change. This is where the sociologist in me comes out, you know? Cause like, yeah. we're just taught to be like passive receivers of things that happen. Where at the end of the day, like if we were informed, we would recognize that we have the power to make that change, you know? And so I think, again, just reminding people of their power is like the quote of the day, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and just on learning a lot of those lessons that we learned in school, you know, I distinctly remember in my fourth grade class, like as I went to a Catholic school and like my teacher, we had to wear skirts, but I'd always wear shorts underneath so I could like hang upside down on the monkey bars and do cartwheels. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like sitting like kind of manspreading and my mm -hmm. teacher, who is a Southern woman, was like, Caroline, sit like a lady. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, and it's that like- that moment, yeah. That moment, I was like living in my power, like fully man spread it out, like not <laughs> in a revealing way because I had shorts no, no. on. Yeah, of course. But, um, you know, when I was told to like shrink down, take up less space, yep. it's really hard to unlearn that yeah. when you have a teacher all year yelling that to you. Yeah. And I think we all have those like childhood stories, you know? Yeah. So now I man spread as a form of resistance. <laughs> 
hell yeah, man. Like, I support that. Human <laughs> spread. Okay, it's not just yeah. me. It's for women, too. Women. Yeah, it's for all taking up space. humans. All gender yes. spreading. 100%. Anyway. I love it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, well, Vanessa, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really excited to kind of... Um, I'm excited to watch your career unfold and um, to do what I can to support you. I know you're going to do amazing things. And I, I just, I'm so excited also for the mountain adventures that we will hopefully share together coming hopefully up. Hopefully very soon. Yes. So folks out there, be sure to give Vanessa a follow on the gram. And um, are you on Facebook too? Any other platforms that you're, are you on TikTok? Oh my God. <laughs> Are Don't you on reveal TikTok? my TikTok. I am. It, it's a budding career. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I'm just not very good at it yet. But I'll When learn. you're ready, follow her on TikTok. <laughs> and yes, she is definitely one to watch in the mountain space. So thank you. Definitely keep your eyes peeled. Yes. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Have a great rest of your day. You too. I am resilient. I trust the movement. I negate the chaos. Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table Again and again and again I'll close my mouth and learn to listen Special thanks to Avery Sandak for his help with the audio on today's episode To my partner, Rob Lee, for being extra quiet while recording in the house today And to Rising Appalachia for graciously providing the music for today's episode if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate and review it so other people can find it. Until next time.